People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGold to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. More fixtures are on the way in the Premier League as we move on to the second part of game week 36. Five fixtures left, plenty of betting markets to look at and maybe, just maybe, some value out there for the betters. If there is, someone who's shown you can help you find it is Jake Osgathorpe from InfoGoal. Hello, Jake. Hi, Ben. Yeah, we had a a, a decent day on Wednesday night. Um, Obviously, both teams to score landing very late in the Burnley versus Wolves game. Um, and obviously the both teams scoring the Newcastle Spurs game, which I put forward as, as, as my favourite bets in those, um, to follow on from a under three and a half in Chelsea Norwich. So we're, we're having a good week so far. Hopefully we can continue that. Well, yeah, let's see. Five more games left, so hopefully we can uh, we can carry on that good form. Are you, are you ready to get into it? Yeah, let's get going. Right, so we've got Everton versus Aston Villa, and I think if there's one side that's disappointed me more than any other since the restart, it's got to be Everton. They've They've been hovering around mid-table for a while and we, we kind of saw a bit of a, a resurgence under under Ancelotti. Um, they were a great team to watch and you, I mean, I certainly began to wonder where they could go from, from next season onwards. Since the restart, though, they've managed just 0.84 expected goals per game um, and it's not really been at the expense of an of improved defensive process because they've given up 1.5 XG per game in that period as well. And I think it's it's just been dropping downhill, and that recent performance and result against Wolves is is got to be the worst of the lot. Aston Villa, meanwhile, they're probably a bit of the opposite. They're one team that came back, probably a, a better team after the restart. Not the best results to start with, but much improved performances and a lot of headlines or some talk around them actually winning the XG battle in a lot of their games. I think five out of the seven they won the XG battle. The two that they lost were to Manchester United and Liverpool, and that's obviously to be expected. But that's also a stat that we kind of have to maybe take with a a pinch of salt. There was a lot of low-value chance, close games in that, a bit of data skewing going on with the double chance in the, I think it was the Chelsea game. However, they they are looking better. They they got a big win at the weekend, bridging. And I mean, if they get another big win here, they could bridge that gap to that four-point gap to safety. So it, it is possible that they stay in stay in the league, but they're going to have to get something out of this game. Um, the market is giving them a, a bit more credit than you might expect, maybe. Everton are still the favourites at 2.07, so a 47% chance of the win for them. Villa are at 3.72, so the odds suggest they've got a 26% chance of victory. I must admit, I was a little bit surprised when I saw the odds for this, but... It's it's probably just better as buying into a bit of a an uplift from Villa, a bit of a drop off from from Everton. But what do you think about this one? I was quite surprised when I saw the lines. To be fair, I thought that Everton would be at the very least odds on. Um, I know you know you, you spoke well there about how Everton are having a little bit of trouble post post break, and, and Villa have looked a little bit better from an underlying numbers perspective. But I still think that this Everton team is is comfortably better than this Villa team. Um. I'm willing to cut them a bit of slack, Everton, given the fact that they've had a, a pretty 
tough run of fixtures post-break, really. Um, obviously, starting off with Liverpool, who were still looking to win the, the title at that point. Um, obviously, a, a gimme at Norwich before playing Leicester, Tottenham, an informed Southampton and, and then away at Wolves. So they've not really had a very easy run of fixtures. Um, and I think that's probably contributed to below par results and, and below par underlying numbers. Um, I expect them to bounce back here, to be fair. I think that um, I think that this is a perfect opportunity for them to get back um, uh, on the winning path. And uh, yeah, what you said was was pretty accurate. Their, their attacking numbers since the break, uh, since the restart, sorry, have been... Uh, re- really poor, 0.84 expected goals for per game um, across the six matches. Prior to that, under Ancelotti, they were averaging around two expected goals per game. So it's a serious drop off in in um, XG4 processor. And, and you know, I think that at some point they're going to have to rediscover that form because they are um, they're starting to look more like a bottom half team than than a top six team, which is what they had started looking like um, when Carl Ancelotti did come in. Um, Fortunately for them, they they are playing Aston Villa team who, although they did beat Crystal Palace, um, they've really struggled in quite a few of the games. Obviously, we, we talk about them keeping games tight against Wolves and Liverpool, but they ultimately ended up losing the, the games to, to teams with much better quality. The same with Chelsea. Um, and obviously, Manchester United went to Villa Park and just steamrolled them um, on that day. And over the course of the season, they've been really poor travellers, allowing 2.36 expected goals against per game. Um, away from home, it's getting to the point for Villa now where it is win or bust. Um, they are four points adrift of Watford and, and West Ham, who obviously play each other on Friday. So it is really desperate times um, for for Villa. If they lose this game and, and Watford and West Ham draw, then it's all of a sudden it's a five point gap, um, and it starts to becoming or starts to look even more unlikely that they are going to actually uh, be able to what uh, do what would be a, a great escape. Um, they're going to have to go for it here, and I think that's that's going to leave them exposed, and that's exactly exactly what Everton want. I think um, playing on the counter attack with the likes of Carlo Lewin and and Richarlison, I think they'll be able to expose Villa's back line, and I do think that Everton look like a, a good value bet at the prices. The model makes Everton sixty four percent favourites, as you said there on the market. Everton around forty seven percent, so there is a huge amount of value in backing the Toffees. Um, Carlo Ancelotti's statements after the, uh, the, the the defeat at Wolves were scathing, really. He called out pretty much every one of his players. Um, so did the players, to be fair. I think it was Seamus Coleman after the game said it's just not good enough and, and I'm expecting a reaction from Everton. Um, and like I said, I think this is a good opportunity for them to do that against a Villa team who are desperate for three points and have serious defensive vulnerabilities that have played them all season long. So Everton to win for me is the best bet in this game. I do like the look of the overs as well. I think, like I said, Villa are going to have to go for it. So we should see quite an open match. Um, the overs is around 49% to 50%, around about even money on the market. Uh, the model goes around 64%. So again, huge value in that. Um, and both teams to score, we think is likely as well, around 58%, um, around 55% on the market. So value in, in a home win and both teams score. But for me, the best bet is just to get on side with Everton, who do have a really good home record Um this season, I think that I think they're, they're pretty much one of the best in the league in terms of the fact they've not lost that many. Three defeats in 17, they've won eight of those 17 matches. Um, and in terms of expected goals process at home, they're the sixth best team in the league. So one of the better home teams in the league playing one of the worst away teams. Um, and, and I do fancy Everton to expose Villa. A convincing case for, for Everton certainly been made. The, a couple of things that I mentioned there were the the kind of contrast in form or or performances between the two and the 
a bit of a drop off between Everton, a bit of an uplift for Villa, and that's obviously what betters seem to be buying into. That's probably why the market isn't really where we might have expected it to be. We always guard against small samples and and say to people not to to buy too much into the last kind of three four games, whatever it might be. But at what point do you? I know you the Infogon model kind of weights the most recent fixtures to to a certain extent. But at what point do you think a run or a good run is something that that needs to become considered before you you kind of maybe take action against it in the betting markets? Um, I think you're probably looking at around ten games as a sample because. 10 games in a season is, is pretty much a quarter of the season. You're going to have played quite a lot of um, different teams from both the top and the bottom. It's very rare that you're going to get a, a run of 10 games against teams just in the bottom. But, um, you know, so 10 games is probably about right. You're getting a nice mix of, of, of opponent quality. Um, and if they can sustain the similar level um, throughout that period, then we start to take a little bit more notice of what they're actually doing. So although Everton are having a, um, a little wobble, Let's not forget that they, they won the XG battle against Liverpool. Um, they won the XG battle against Norwich, although narrowly. Um, and then they, they actually raced into a 2-0 lead against Leicester before coasting to a, um, to a victory in that game. It's only recently against away at Spurs uh, and away at Wolves where they really have had struggles creating chances where just 0.3 against Wolves and 0.5 against Tottenham. Um, but in between that, they did create and at one XG against Southampton at home. And we all know that Southampton are a really strong away team. So I don't think it's, it's worth getting carried away with Everton um, just yet. Obviously, the recent performances haven't been great. That, that, the last three, that is. Um, but as for Villa, like I said, they, they, they're just trying to keep games um, or trying to win games with fine margins. And to do that, you need quality players. And unfortunately for Villa, they've, they've got, they're coming up against teams like Chelsea's Wolves, Liverpool, who have much better players than, than, than them. So when it does come to the fine margins, um, the higher quality players do tend to make the difference. And, and that's what we've seen for Villa since the restart, really. Leicester versus Sheffield United's our next game. And you mentioned they're a bit of a wobble or a bit of a drop-off for Everton. I'm not quite sure what you'd call what what Leicester are going through at the moment. The the top four looked safe and secure. I mean, it was nailed on months ago. It looked safe and secure even up until a few games ago. But they've they've won just once in the last six, um, and it's only four wins in fifteen since the new year. With teams behind them hitting form as well, and Manchester City's ban overturned, it's it's looking increasingly likely that we 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 might not see them in the Champions League next season and. They've obviously got a massive fixture against Manchester United on the final day, but this one will be just as important. Sheffield United are a good side. They've got a pretty even process. Yeah, it's 1.4 xG per game and a touch higher and closer to 1.5 xG against per game. A fairly hefty underperformance in front of goal for them, but that, that's that's been balanced by a by a massive overperformance at the back as well. Um, they're coming off the back of a, a really big three 0 win against Chelsea. They're obviously going to want to finish the season as high as possible up the table. The odds suggest that that Leicester should get the win here. Their price of 1.98 gives them just over a 50% chance. The draw is at 3.45, which is 29% chance. And Sheffield United a 4.31, which equates to around about 23% chance. Despite the odds, we're, we're, we're still taking action on Sheffield United. And, and betters also seem keen on the under that's currently split at 2 and 2.5. Is it another one where people are potentially buying too much into form? You mentioned there about 10 games. 
I said about 15, 16 games since the new year. How bad have things got for Leicester and is there any value in taking them on here, do you think? Um, the model suggests not, but I would just be very wary um, of backing Leicester. I think that what you've said there is, is, is pretty much spot on. Over a long period of time, they've performed to a, a really poor level. Um, I mean, if you take the last 18 games, they've picked up just 20 points um, in that time with a negative XG process of average 1.54 expected goals for and 1.6 expected goals against per game. Um, that would put them as the eighth best team in the league during that little spell. Sheffield United just behind in ninth. So there isn't too much between these two teams if you look at it from the, the, the last half of the season. Obviously, the first half of the season, Leicester were sensational. They were racking up over two expected goals per game. They had the best defensive process in the league before they played against both Liverpool and Manchester City back-to-back around Christmas time. Um, but it all, it all really has, has fallen apart for Leicester. Um, I, I don't know whether that's just because teams have found them out, um, studied tape and, and figured out ways to play against them. But for whatever reason, they have really come to a grinding halt this season. And it, it is very worrying given the predicament that they're in. They're looking for, to finish in the Champions League spots and they're now just ahead of Manchester United on goal difference. Um, and I think there's only three goals in that as well. So uh, it's tight in all aspects. And not to mention Leicester have got to go and play Tottenham as well at the weekend after this game. So if they do lose this match, um, then there is only four points between themselves and, and, and Tottenham heading into that game. So it isn't beyond the realms of possibility that if Leicester continue this run of form, that, that they will completely fall out of the top six altogether. Um, they're, they're playing that poorly. They were really, they were really good for, for, for a half against Bournemouth. Um, and then they just imploded, really. It was a, it was a bad individual error from Kasper Schmeichel that led to the penalty. Um, then the second goal came instantly. And, and before you know it, uh, Siunchu gets sent off and, and basically Bournemouth run riot in a, in a deserved victory. So um, he'll be a big loss for them in this game. Siunchu has been one of the better players this season. Um, but I think that there are rumours that both Chilwell and Madison will be returning, which would obviously be a huge boost for, for, for Leicester. Uh, but if they're on the bench, then you have to really be careful about backing this Leicester team against what is a very resurgent and, and very well-organised Sheffield United team. And the other thing that, that worries me really about what we're seeing from Leicester um, is the fact that Brendan Rodgers is really tinkering with formations at the minute. He's um, He can't make his mind up between the, the original 4-2-3-1 um, or four-three-three formation, or however you want to look at it, um, and and a three at the back, where which he, he opted to play against um, Arsenal with Ryan Bennett coming in there. Um, he started that against Bournemouth as well at the weekend. But I, I do worry for them if they do opt for that approach, given they're playing against a Sheffield United team that have much more practice um, and, and know the system much better. So that 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 for me is a little bit of a worry and, and one to just keep an eye out um, of when when you see the lineups just to see what sort of uh, setup Brendan Rodgers is opting for in what is a must-win game, really, for them. Um, since the restart, Leicester haven't been great. They've struggled in uh, in attack, really, uh, apart from the game against Crystal Palace, where they racked up nearly three expected goals. Uh, they've really struggled to create. Nil-nil uh, with Brighton was, was a poor performance, uh, 0.7 expected goals. Prior to that, it was 1.1 against Watford. Um, 1.1 against Arsenal and then obviously 1.3 against Bournemouth. So, um, you know, there is a cause for concern there in the, from the attacking end. Um, and, you know, you look at the home results and you would suggest that they're one of the best home teams in the league. Picked up uh, 
34 points from, from 17 games, so averaging two points a game. But according to XG Process, they've been only the eighth best team, best home team in the league. So averaging 1.56 expected goals four per game. Their actual numbers are at 1.94. So there's quite a big disparity there in terms of goals scored and their expected goals. Um, and the same in, in defence, where they've allowed 0.88 goals per game, 1.28 expected goals against per game. So you're looking at around a 0.8 um, overperformance per game from their ex- uh, expected goals from Leicester. So they've been fortunate to pick up so many points at home. I think that their overall goal difference is 18. Expected goal difference is, is at five. So um, there is a huge overperformance there from uh, from Leicester. And then, again, that's another reason to be wary of them in this game. Um, and as you said, Sheffield United are on a bit of a tear at the minute. They've, they've beaten Spurs, Wolves and Chelsea. Um, and, and in between that, they drew with Burnley, a team that have lost just once in the last 14 league games. So um, really good form from, from Sheffield United. And that obviously came from a disappointing restart where they drew with Villa, um, lost to Newcastle, lost to Manchester United. So really impressive um, how Chris Wilder's managed to galvanise his side and, and get them going again. Um, the game against Chelsea, I thought, was one of the best performances I've seen in the Premier League this season. I thought they were excellent in that game. They managed the game extremely well, limited Chelsea um, to very few good chances and, and obviously caused all sorts of issues with the, the high press and high turnovers that they can force. So um, really positive signs for them. Um, the only issue I have with them coming into this game is that the fact that Away from home, while they don't lose too many matches, lost four of 17, they don't win many either, um, four of 17. So there's a lot, been a lot of draws on the road um, for Sheffield United. And, and they picked up 21 points from those away matches, which is the eighth most in the league. But according to expected goals, um, you know, they're, they're XG processed. They're actually a bottom half um, team when playing away from home with a, with a minus nine expected goal difference. So... Uh, the results have flattered them away from home this season, uh, averaging 1.6 expected goals against per game. So they do concede chances on the road. Um, I, I think that that could well um, mean plenty of chances at either end and, and goals. So I know you're saying that the lines, goal lines going unders at the moment, but uh, the model thinks that we could be in for quite a high scoring match. Obviously, um, I think quite a few of Sheffield United's games since the break have been high scoring. You know, like I said, 3-0 against Newcastle, 3-0 against United, 3-1 against Spurs, 3-0 against Chelsea. So um, we have seen high scoring matches involving the Blades, which is something we didn't see too much too often prior to the uh, prior to the break. Uh, and we think that there's going to be goals here. 56% chance of over two and a half. So like you said, the, the, the unders is a strong favourite in the market. With Overs being around 43%. So there's a huge amount of value and offer in backing the over two and a half in what is a, a desperately or well, a must win game for both teams uh, if they want to get achieve their goals. Let's not forget Sheffield United can go above Wolves and into six with a win in this match after Wolves' draw. So uh, all to play for for both teams. Uh, the bet I like in this is both teams to score uh, 56% on the model, around 50% on the market. So you've got a decent amount of value there. Um, and the model does quite like Leicester at the price as a calculating a 54% chance of a Leicester win compared to around 49% on the market. So there is value in a Leicester win, but like I said, just be wary uh, and wait for team news if you before you back the Foxes. Right, let's get on to Crystal Palace versus Manchester United and not much to play for for Palace. 
quite a lot on the line for for Manchester United. Just goal difference separates them and Leicester, who we've just talked about in fourth, who are on a bit of a, a free fall. If United do get the win here, even third place looks possible with Chelsea, I think, at the moment. It's four points or something like that, the gap. Um, Palace got their, their season back underway with that 2-0 win against Bournemouth. But since then, they've they've lost five on the spin. They've failed to score in four of those. Their process hasn't been great all season. They can count themselves lucky they're not in that relegation scrap when you consider that they're, they're averaging just 1.1 expected goals for per game. They can see chances equating to 1.7 expected goals per game. When you're struggling for form, you don't really want to be coming up against a Manchester United side that's unbeaten in 11 and, and seemingly scoring for fun. They've obviously ended that run of uh, games with a winning margin of three goals, but they, they seem to be dominating teams now and really pushing for that Champions League qualification. Their process has been fairly consistent all season. I think it's it's probably a few errors at the back that have, have cost them more than anything, but um, a few more wins and, top, and a top four spot will be theirs with that that final game against Leicester. Uh, pinnacle odds, Pinnacle's odds suggest it, it should be fairly routine here for Manchester United. A price of 1.327 suggests 70% chance. Crystal Palace's dreadful run is, is highlighted by a, a pretty big price of 11.0 for the home side, so just a 10% chance of a win for them. United are the better team. They're, they're certainly the more informed team. They've got plenty of motivation, whereas Palace Palace are going to be struggling to, to probably get themselves up for the game. I'm not suggesting Manchester United shouldn't be favourites, but, but they are pretty short, aren't they? They are pretty short, yeah. I think that, I think that I, I, again, I'd be a little bit wary of United after that, that game against Southampton, where Southampton really did cause some problems with a high press. Um, I think United went off at around 1.25 for that game. They're looking a little bit bigger here, but, um, you know, we've spoke about Crystal Palace's issues and obviously lost the last five matches, but let's not forget that last season they were in a pretty similar position. Um, with safety already pretty much assured. And despite that, they won five of the last eight matches. Um, they lost to Tottenham and Manchester City. So they have got previous of, of performing late on in the season. And, and there's been signs that they could do that. Obviously, the game against Chelsea was a, a really decent performance in which they created plenty of opportunities. And, and I think that we'll probably see um, a, quite an attack-minded Palace here take a game, try and take the game to Manchester United. I think um, what, what that Southampton game... Uh, against Manchester United has taught us is that if you sit off this Man United team, they will basically tear you apart, which is what Aston Villa, um, at Brighton and Sheffield United all did, whereas Southampton got in their faces and made it really difficult for them to to play out the back and, and transition the football. So if Crystal Palace do play in that, that high-intensity, high-press football, then I do think that they can cause United some problems. Um, whether they've got the, the quality to win the game or not, I, that's... You know, I think that's probably unlikely, but it is worth pointing out that Manchester United will have, um, you know, one eye on on the FA Cup semi final that that takes place on Sunday, which is obviously only forty eight hours after this match. So it's um, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer does from a, a a team lineup perspective, given the fact that they played on Monday, they're playing on Thursday, and then they're playing on Sunday. So. I think that would probably factor into the betting again. I'd, I'd probably suggest waiting for the, the announcements of the team before getting stuck into the 1x2 market. Um, I wouldn't be surprised it, I wouldn't be surprised if Solskjaer does rotate for this game. 
Um, but it is also worth pointing out the fact that Crystal Palace have only played twice at home this season, uh, sorry, since the restart against Burnley uh, and Chelsea. And they actually created a decent amount of chances in both matches. One and a half expected goals against Burnley, 1.6 against Chelsea. So uh, it does seem as though they're saving the best form for, for home matches at Selhurst Park. Um, although, like we've said, Manchester United have been pretty brilliant since the since the restart. Six matches, four wins, two draws. Um, and that unbeaten run extends to 11 in the league, um, starting with a, a goalless draw against Wolves. So uh, they are in excellent form. Their performances in, in that 11-game unbeaten run have been really impressive and, and they've only got better, really, as, as the players have, have got back to full fitness. You likes of Marcus Rashford and Paul Pogba. Um, but after Chelsea's win on uh, on Tuesday against Norwich, it does put the pressure back on United. If they, um, you know, if they fail to win here, then all of a sudden Chelsea have got a little bit of breathing room. Um, albeit they are the team out of the three that has the the weaker goal difference. So um, it, it really is. It's a massive game for United. Obviously, less to play a couple of hours before them, so they'll know that result before they get take to the field. Um, and what we've seen from them since the restart is has been a real almost shifting in ideals, really. They, they, they've now got the players to dominate teams, like Fernandes, Pogba. They're dominating football matches and, and that's allowing United to create more chances on a regular basis, averaging 1.96 expected goals for, but also limit their opponents to, to just 0.84 expected goals against per game, which is um, a very low number compared to the season average of around 1.3. Away from home this season, United have been pretty solid. Average 1.57 expected goals for, 1.2 expected goals against. So um, a pretty decent away process, which um, again is, is a big tick in their column um, for this game. But like we said, I think the price is just a little bit too short to get on board with uh, with the 1x2. Um, instead, I'm, I'm looking at the both teams to score market for a bit of value. Um, I quite like the idea of United racing into a, uh, a two or three goal lead um, and, and, and then rotating the players like they did against Southampton on Monday. They were two one up in that game. Took off uh, the likes of Fernandez, Greenwood, Pogba, um, just to give them a break ahead of this game. Obviously, that backfired a little bit, but I think they'll do something similar here if, if the game is is in a pretty comfortable position um, and could let Crystal Palace almost get back into the game with a with a late consolation. So uh, I like the both teams to score. I think the model's got it around fifty fifty. Uh, the market is is heavily on both teams to score. No with a 44% chance of both teams to score. So there is decent value in that. The model is also quite heavy on the overs at 56%. Uh, the model goes around uh, 51% for, for over two and a half. So not as confident on the over 2.5 goals, given the fact that Crystal Palace are notoriously a, a, a very poor attacking unit. One expected goal per game at home, um, 1.3 expected goals against. So their home matches tend to not see too much, uh, too much action, but... Like we said, the, the recent two home matches have been quite refreshing, really, in, in the way that they have actually created chances. So um, I'm hoping for something similar. Like I said, both teams to score for me is, is the best bet in this one. And with the, the talk of Greenwood being injured, and I mean, I don't I don't think expected goals applies to him at the moment with the, the overperformance we've seen. But obviously, Manchester United have great squad depth. We've, we've talked about how important that's going to be. I mean, it's always important over the season, but especially in this congested period of games with a bit of fatigue maybe um the maybe not necessarily the quality of player but but does that potentially change 
the style or approach that Manchester United have if someone like Dan James comes in or, or something like that? Is is that something to consider when you're looking at goals and things like that? Or is it just because they've got the the Pogba, Fernandes, Martial, Rashford, it's, it shouldn't make too much of an impact, do you think? Um, it shouldn't make too much of an impact, but it, there is quite a considerable drop in quality, in my opinion, from Mason Greenwood to, to Daniel James, for example, where... Obviously, Daniel James got the speed um, to beat players and he, he probably is more suited to counter-attacking football, um, whereas Mason Greenwood's got the close control and, and has a real eye for goal. So um, I think that, that that would be a, a little bit of a, a disappointing replacement for, for Greenwood. I mean, I know Martial's been playing well as a number nine, but I personally would quite like to see Odi Nigalo come in for Greenwood and, and push Martial out wide for... 60 minutes just to see how that goes. Um, I think I've been impressed with Igalo when he has come on. He's provided a good focal point for United to play off. Um, but yeah, I think that, that whatever happens, really, United have got such a, a you know incredible squad depth and obviously the five substitutes helps um, quite considerably. Uh, I mean, you, you could bring Juan Mata in if you wanted to. Um, Andres Pereira could come in. You could even push Pogba or, or, or Fernandes into a false nine role if you really wanted to. Um, so th- there's a lot of options there for United. And I think that whoever comes in, it, it doesn't really t- change my view of, of Manchester United edging to a, to a narrow win. Right, now we've got Southampton versus Brighton. I think we can call this one the, the Info Gold derby. They're, they're two teams that we've been quite positive about throughout the season. Neither of them are in the top half of the table, but but both of them probably deserve to be. I mean, Southampton definitely do at least. It's it's four games unbeaten for them, and when you consider that's a run that includes a win against Manchester City, Manchester City, that draw against who we just said is the league's informed team in Manchester United, it's clear that there's there's plenty of potential there for Southampton, and they are a better team than the the fourteenth or thirteenth or or twelfth wherever they're they're hovering around now in the table. This one is it's going to be difficult for them because Brighton are they're one they're a good team but two they're also they're going to be desperate to to mathematically guarantee safety. I think barring like a, a fifteen goal swing in in two games that that safety will be secured if they get a win here. They're coming off the back of losses to Liverpool and Manchester City, so it's it's hard to judge them based on those results. Um, but they've got a couple of wins and a couple of draws since the restart. Things are looking. Results-wise, a little bit better for them. Performances are still pretty decent. The The market's quite even here. Pinnacle has Southampton as the favourites at, at 2.22 or 44% chance. Brighton a 3.51, which is around a 27% chance. And the draw is 3.4 or, or 28%. It's it's one of the few games in game week 36 where there there isn't too much to play for, but it's it's probably for me going to be the most interesting one to watch in terms of the matchup. But how do you think it will play out? Yeah, I think this is a really interesting game. Um, like you said, two teams that have performed extremely well over the course of the season and, and are unfortunate not to be higher in the table. Um, Southampton have enjoyed themselves post-break, picked up 11 points from a possible 18. Um, the last home game was against Manchester City and we've spoke about that game already. The fact that Southampton were hugely fortunate to to get three points, conceding three and a half expected goals, somehow keeping a clean sheet. Uh, and we calculate just a 3% chance of them actually keeping a clean sheet in that match, showing just how, how fortunate they did get. Um, one thing that is always thrown at Southampton is, is the fact that 
most of their points this season have actually come away from home. Uh, they've picked up 28 points um, on the road compared to just 17 at home. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, the home the process actually does reflect that, really. Um, it's, you know, it's not a surprise that they've picked up 17 points from 17 home matches. Averaging 1.37 expected goals for uh, and 1.77 expected goals against per game. Uh, and that does show you that we usually see quite a few chances at, at both ends when Southampton do take to the field at St Mary's. Um, obviously, they, they lost um, their first home game since the restart against Arsenal before beating Manchester City. But it's worth pointing out that across both of those matches, they conceded around um, 5.8 expected goals, which is a... Um, you know, pretty poor um, effort and create just 1.5 expected goals. So they, they've not had, albeit the easiest run of fixtures at home, but according to expected goals, they've been heavily beaten in both of those matches, which is a little bit of a concern um, coming up against a, another t- a team in Brighton who have the capabilities to, to really hurt them. Um, I mean, they are only six, five points now after Bournemouth, uh, win at the weekend. They're only five points ahead of, of the relegation zone, so they're not out of it yet. A win here would pretty much seal their safety. Um, and, you know, it's fair to say they had a pretty tough week last week. Um, they played Liverpool um, and Manchester City both at home back-to-back. I think they lost 3-1 and 5-0. They were unlucky to lose to Liverpool. Uh, created 2.9 expected goals to Liverpool's 2.7. Uh, but against Manchester City, it was... Yeah, they, they got absolutely dominated. 0.1 expected goals for 4.7 expected goals against in a 5-0 defeat. So, um, yeah, that, that was that's a pretty tough run of fixtures, though, just those those two matches. Obviously, you could throw Manchester United in and extend that to four um, or even Leicester. Um, you know, just since the restart, the fixtures have been really tough. So the fact that they've picked up seven points from six matches is, is a pretty decent return. Um and, you know, they're not guaranteed the safety, as I've already said, but the Infocom model thinks that they're all but safe now. 0.2% chance that they get relegated, according to the model. Um, and away from home, they've been pretty impressive, actually. They, they've, they've, they've got the 10th best away process in the league uh, this season, averaging 1.3 expected goals for 1.67 against. So that's a, a big positive for them coming into this match. Um, and I think that, like I said at the top, this is going to be a really intriguing game because of the the, the styles that that these two teams have uh, have opted for, which is obviously the high pressing um, Southampton team, where they hassle and harry, um, get in your face and try and make it difficult for you to get the ball um, up the pitch. Compared to a Brighton team that do like to try and get the ball down and, and play out from the back and um, and break basically beat the press, which is um, what 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 caused their or what was their Achilles heel against Liverpool um, a couple of weeks uh, or last week from conceded two sloppy goals really from um, defensive errors at the back trying to play out so I think that the, we could see some more um, enforced errors in this match but I also think Brighton have the quality to to play through that press once or twice and, and perhaps create plenty of chances at the other end so for me the the, the way I'm looking at this is is um, it's looking at it from the goals angle. I think there's going to be plenty of goals in this one. Both teams to score makes appeal at, at around um, 52% on the market. We're going 63%. The overs also makes appeal 62% on the model, 46% odds against on the market. So there's a huge amount of value there in getting on side with the over two and a half. Um, and you know, I think the model is is 
plus we're expecting so many goals that the draw is quite uh, quite big. I think 24% compared to 29% on the market. So we, we're giving Brighton a 30% chance of winning compared to 27 on the market and, and Southampton a 46% chance of winning compared to 44. So uh, there's a small amount of value in getting on side with Southampton. Um, you know, I think the way they've been playing, I'd be happy to to give them a chance. Uh, but for me, the be- the main play is to get on side with the goals. I, I quite like both teams to score and over two and a half. And, um, you know, if you want to put those two in a, in a multiple, I, I think that'd probably be a decent bet. Right, last up we've got West Ham versus Watford, our final game to look at and and probably one of the most important ones. These two are they're level on points with West Ham in 16th, sitting above Watford in 17th and it's just goal difference that separates them at the moment and that could obviously cru- prove to, to be very, very crucial at the end of the season. I think it's basically the, the reward for a win here for either team is is pretty much Premier League safety. A draw will, will drag things out for another week or so, but it will certainly benefit West Ham more. Um, West Ham have certainly improved over the last few games. Two wins and a draw in the last four. That performance against Norwich was was probably the best we've seen from them all season and came just at the right time. Exactly four expected goals to Norwich's 0.69. An impressive performance from Mikel Antonio up front. I think well, he got all four goals, but I think he also got about were over three of the four expected goals that they created. Um, Watford obviously also then got a win as well. It was a, a massive result for them, especially after being one nil down to Newcastle. Two penalties saved them in the end. It was it was probably a deserved win, and they, and they earned it. Um, they've been a better team than West Ham this season, but they've had a few really poor runs, a really a really bad start to the campaign as well. Some big losses have, have obviously impacted their goal difference. And if they don't get anything here, they've got Manchester City and Arsenal to come. If they lose this, they're, they're, they're going to be hoping that Bournemouth and Aston Villa don't pull something out of the bag in the last two games because then they're, they're going to be in real big trouble. Um, West Ham do have the edge according to the market for this game. Pinnacle has them at 2.40, so around a 40% chance to win. Watford are 3.56 and that's a 28% chance. It could be, with so much on the line, it could be one of those cagey ones. Neither side really goes for it. Neither side really wants to lose. The draw might be the play with odds of 3.01 or or 32%. Um, Also, no surprise when you consider how cagey it might be or how tense an affair it might be. The the goals total is quite low at 2 and 2.5. The market leaning towards the over because it's a low mark, but we've, we've also seen plenty of bets on the under. Where's the value in this one, Jake? Tell me West Ham are going to win this six-pointer, please. Uh, the model does quite like West Ham in this game, yeah. Um, but, I mean, I, I personally quite like West Ham as well to win the game. But given the fact that um, a draw would be a great result for both teams, I won't be surprised if they shake hands before the game and just call it a draw. Um, you know, a, that would take both teams on to 35 points. And, and you know, ex- if, you, if you factor in that perhaps Villa don't beat Everton, on Thursday, then you know both teams have got a four-point cushion to Bournemouth and Villa, meaning that either Bournemouth or Villa are going to have to win the last two matches, which is highly unlikely for two teams that have, have really struggled for wins all season long. So I wouldn't be surprised if it ended in a draw. Um, although, you know, that there is, a, I guess, I mean, both teams since the restart have created plenty of chances, especially West Ham. They've been one of the better teams. Uh, in the league in attack since the restart. They've averaged two expected goals per game. Obviously, four of those came against um, Norwich. But it's it's been a nice change of pace, really, from West Ham. 
really struggled against Wolves and Spurs, creating next to nothing. And then out of nowhere, they've been on this really impressive run, created over two expected goals in, in all the last four matches. They were very unfortunate not to get something against Burnley, uh, unfortunate not to beat Newcastle, and then obviously deservedly beat Chelsea and Norwich. So very impressive um, revival almost from, from West Ham. Um, and it's put them in a, a pretty comfortable position now where, like you said, one win really from the last three matches should seal it. Good chance of doing that here. Watford have been um, extremely strong at home all season long. I think their, their process at home is um, is around 1.76 expected goals for, 1.47 against. So one of the better home teams in the league. But fortunately, unfortunately for them, their away form uh, and their away process has been pretty tragic. They've averaged just 0.9 expected goals against per game, 1.77 expected goals against. So really struggling on the road. Um, That hasn't changed since Nigel Pearson's come in. I mean, their, their results away from home recently have been pretty poor, losing at Burnley. Losing at uh, Chelsea um, since the restart. Obviously, prior to that, they were on a pretty bad run of form anyway. Uh, losing at Crystal Palace, they lost at Manchester United, only drew at Brighton, lost at Aston Villa. It could go on and on. Uh, basically, they're, they're not a very good travelling team. And that, for me, is, is a big negative to um, towards them in terms of uh, this match. <clears throat> As I said, a draw would suit nicely for both teams which could lead to a cagey game. So I understand the low goal total, but given the way that West Ham have been creating chances recently, it is really hard to think that they're going to revert back to being a defence first team. I think that the way they've been playing, they've got plenty to hurt Watford um, and create plenty of chances. And I think that for me anyway, I do quite like the um, the goals markets as a best bet. Both teams to score looks at a really interesting angle for me. I think Watford will get on the score sheet given that their their counter-attacking capabilities, I think West Ham will dominate the football. Um, and I like both teams to score. The model really likes it. 50% on the market for both teams to score. The model's at 65%, so there's a huge amount of value there. Um, I also quite like the overs. I could see this being a 2-1 win to West Ham. 65% chance of over 2.5 on the model. Like you said, the, the, the market is swerving towards the unders. Um, so you've got 44% of over 2.5, around 2.25, which I think is a... Um, you know, a really big price for a team that's have or that's created two expected goals in the last four matches coming up against a, a Watford team who have also imp- incre- increased their attacking numbers uh, recently. But in the 1x2, the, the, like I said, the model does quite like a West Ham win, 45% chance of a home win um, compared to around 40 on the market. So uh, we do quite fancy West Ham. Um, and to be fair, I, I do quite like the, the home win and, and over two and a half as a, as a a little interest bet, really. I think that over two and a half is probably going to be my main play in this, um, given the the stakes that are on offer. I, I don't know if if West Ham will, um, you know, will will eventually come out on top, but I do think that of the two teams, they are um, the better. They've got much more quality in in attacking areas, especially. And, and Mikel Antonio, as you said, is, is on fire at the moment. He looks an interesting bet for a first goal scorer as well. Um, I think he's around. 7.5 something, 6, 6.5 for, a, for to, to be first goal scorer in this game, which is of interest given the fact that he, he has been an absolute menace over the last four matches. Um, so yeah, for me, the best bet is is, is going against the grain and, and back in the over two and a half. Um, but from a 1x2 perspective, West Ham are the value play. 
And on on this podcast, we, I mean, we ninety nine percent of the time we're talking about pre match markets and and stuff like that. We occasionally touch upon the the outrights and things, but the other the other option for betters to consider is obviously the the live or the in play stuff as well. And is that is this a game maybe a good example where because there's so much on the line, there's so few games left that if let's let's play things out, West Ham take the lead, we know then that Watford have to maybe change tact and and attack and and get something out of the game and similarly if if West Ham do initially start out to go attacking and then they concede early it's do they then revert and think we'll go defensive we'll try and sneak a goal in the remaining time and it's it's an interesting one to to kind of think about like how the game state changes could impact like how teams approach the game and and what happens in play is that anything you consider kind of in your own betting or, or are you just looking at, at pre-match stuff? Yeah, I think you, it's something you have to consider. I think that it, uh, for a start, you have to be watching the match to sort of make those decisions and, and get a feel for the ebb and flow and, and obviously look at matchups potentially and see if, for example, Yarmolenko is getting the best of, of Watford's left back. Um, you know, he, he could cause some issues, uh, whether that be from a, a next goal scorer perspective or something along those lines. Um, but I do think that if a goal obviously does change a game. Um, I think if, if West Ham did score first, I would really like the overs bet. Um, I think that would obviously call West uh, Watford on to try and grab an equaliser. Um, and oh, I think West Ham have got plenty to cause or to create on the counter-attack, as we saw against Chelsea. Um, if Watford were to score first, I don't know if West Ham would have the capabilities to break down a block of ten. So um, I, that that for me is is I'd probably be a little bit wary of that. Um, but yeah, I think I think the other thing to factor in is is the result of Aston Villa um, on Thursday. I think if if Aston Villa get beat, then mm-hmm. I don't think that Watford will be too. Um, oh, I think I think obviously they'll not want to lose the game. But if they do lose the game, they'll want to keep it um, to a narrow defeat to keep the goal difference advantage that they have over Bournemouth um, as big as they can. So I think that it's going to be a fascinating game. I'm hoping that we're going to see an entertaining game of, of two teams that want to win the game rather than not want to lose the game. Um, but yeah, I think, like I said, it's going to be, it's a tough one to call because of the fact that a point does both teams pretty, you know, quite a lot of good um, compared to, Obviously, zero points for either team is is not a great result, especially Watford, given the fixtures that they have remaining. So, um, yeah, it's a fascinating game. And I think that the first goal is going to be key. Like I said, if West Ham get the first goal, then I can see quite a high-scoring match. Because Watford have to open up a little bit. If Watford score first, then, um, you know, there's every chance that that they could almost keep things uh, quite tight and try and frustrate, um, try and frustrate, West Ham, so uh, it's going to be interesting. It, it you know point out that Watford actually have conceded first in the last two matches and turned around to win. That for me would you know I could see that happening again here if West Ham opens scoring and Watford all of a sudden have to open up a little bit and try and you know play more on the on the front foot, open the game up a little bit. So I'm expecting something similar to what we've seen from Nor- uh, Watford's game against Norwich and Newcastle. Well, that's it for game week 36. Not long left in the season now, but we'll obviously be back again next week or, or tomorrow, in fact, to, to analyse the penultimate, penultimate round of fixtures that are, that are spread over over a few days and, and help you listeners inform your predictions. 
thanks as always for coming on, Jake, and, and sharing some insight from the InfoGoal model. Yep, you're welcome, Ben. I'm sure we'll, uh, we've got two more game weeks left. They're coming thick and fast, so we'll be talking again soon. And thank you to everyone for listening. If you want to look at the, the data that we've discussed on the pod in more detail, you can always visit infogold.net, follow at InfoGoal app on Twitter, and download the app on iOS and Android. The Pinnacle Live Scores app is also available on iOS and Android, and it's perfect for anyone looking to bet in play with up to the second odds and alert settings to time your bet right and get the best possible price. All of the odds for the upcoming games are live on pinnacle.com. Good luck with any bets and remember to always gamble responsibly.